Welcome to IASA's Additional Coverage, podcast number one, the inaugural episode. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and joining me for today's additional coverage is Mark Scholl, who is a principal at Whitfleet. Thanks, Tim. Welcome, everybody. Glad to be part of this podcast. Uh, we're happy to have you here. Today's topic is cyber threats. But before we get started, I would like to recognize the support received from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. Find out more at IASA.org. Now let's get right into today's topic. Tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, expertise in, in cyber security and cyber threats, if you don't mind. Yeah, I started out as a network engineer back in the mid-90s, and then about 20 years ago, I um, went into the IT audit and cyber field, and it's been amazing to see, you know, the evolution of technology and how it relates to the cyber threats we're seeing today. Agreed. I mean, the way things were in the early days of the computers, you know, in the 1980s, it's a, a world away from where we are today. Well, what do you think, um, given the way things have progressed, what are the biggest cybersecurity threats against financial institutions specifically? Well, I mean, first and foremost, everybody's a target. Um, you know, it used to be that, you know, they were targeting the big Fortune 500 companies. Now they're targeting individuals, small businesses. You know, unfortunately, we don't always see them make the news, but, you know, something like ransomware can shut down a small business in one day. You know, so it's important to understand that, everybody's a target so even large businesses can get shut down yeah large businesses and we saw that with the colonial pipeline and other things uh, in these past few months but email usage continues to grow um, I don't know anybody that doesn't have an email address and so that's why it makes such a great target and we're finding that over 90% of data breaches start with an email. There's three bad things that can happen um, malicious file attachment something click on that. Um, a fake or malicious website link within the email. You believe it's legitimate, but it takes it to the evil twin. Um, we can also trick the victim into giving up their password, sending money or many other types of fraud. So it's important to understand that the email scams are the attack vector, you know, for things like ransomware, business email compromise, key loggers. If we could stop malicious emails, we could stop as much as 90% of the threats we're seeing today. Wow, that's significant. Yeah, that's pretty significant. Um, email scams are popular for password stealing, um, which can lead to account takeover. Really, the motive here is to try to entice somebody into clicking on a link in the email, thinking they're logging into the network, and in real life, they're harvesting your credentials. And even some of the emails that I'm seeing, they're not even very good scams. But you know, if you send out 100 emails, you know, it only takes one of your employees to fall for this scam. Well, who is doing this? Well, we're seeing um, a lot of different threat actors out there. Um, you know, that's a common question. You may hear hear the term threat actor a lot. Um, you know, they're individuals or groups that cause or contribute to data breaches or cybersecurity incidents 
we're finding that 74% of attacks are from external actors. And what I mean by this is, you know, we often watch hacker movies where, you know, we see, you know, a guy in a hoodie and it's late at night and he's sitting there with five cans of jolt. They, you know, they do exist, but really it's organized crime. We're seeing ransomware gangs and other cyber gangs. They work together by communicating with each other virtually using encrypted chat channels. Uh, some of them are fairly strong in their reputation. We've heard of uh, our evil, dark side, black matter, uh, trick bot, but, you know, they're very dangerous. And we've seen some uh, pro-Russian gangs out there uh, where they've been targeting hospitals in the United States with the motivation to create fear and panic, but, you know, obviously to make money. One uh, particular attack we're seeing is, are the state-sponsored threat actors. And one in particular is the Sandworm. Uh, this is a Russian cyber group, which is actually part of Russia's GRU. So the GRU is Russia's military intelligence agency. So Sandworm has a pretty strong history of state-sponsored attacks against critical infrastructure, which we'll talk about. But you know, to their credit, in 2015, uh, they took down Ukraine's power grid for six hours in the middle of December, and then they took it down again in the year later. Most notably, they released the NotPetya wiper worm in 2017, causing $10 billion in damage to large international companies. But um, along that line, they temporarily destroyed many servers in the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea, which many of us never even knew about, you know. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it, it was in retaliation. Remember that Russia cannot compete in the Olympics under their own flag. So um, the funny thing is, the sandworm is indicted by the United States for all these activities, but it's not likely they'll ever be incarcerated. But we see other groups from China, Iran, um, you know, North Korea. But it's been challenging uh, and difficult for like the FBI, Europol, Interpol, and other international law enforcement agencies to track these because, you know, anonymity. Typically, when we uh, connect to the internet, there's an IP address, and that IP address can give away your location. Well, what they do is they route the data traffic around multiple times in special routers all over the world, so it's hard to, you know, track where they're coming from. Not to mention that they encrypt a lot of their chat rooms, and it's hard to, you know, decipher and understand what they're communicating about. The other thing is jurisdiction. There are times where we know exactly who is behind the scams, but we don't have the extradition rights um, to prosecute. So we've seen this with mm. Russian organized crime. Um, we've heard a new term called privateering. These are ransomware gangs that are protected by the government. And these gangs are not subtle. They drive nice cars. They live a rich lifestyle. And they're seen as rock stars by cyber peers. And the Russian government turns their head as long as the threat actors are not performing these scams in their own country. So, and, you know, anybody will tell you to solve a crime, you have to follow the money trail. But cryptocurrencies make it difficult uh, because of the encryption. And one of the characteristics of crypto is that it provides anonymity between the buyer and the seller. Right. Well, while we're talking about that, do you have a breakdown between uh, how much of the cyber threat you think is domestic versus foreign? Um, I would say probably about 25%. And these are usually, you know, vendors, 
a combination of vendors, um, it, you know, insiders, um, disgruntled employees. So we can't ignore the insider threat, not to mention sometimes our threats are from people who, you know, it's not even intentional. They're trying to do the right thing. Maybe they're trying to copy files to a USB key because they have to go pick up their kids and they know they need to have this project done by, you know, tomorrow morning, but, you know, they're installing it on computers and running it um, on systems that are used for gaming and other things where we don't know the security. Right. So for <laughs> all of us out there that, uh, and, and I'm one of them that complains a lot about not being able to you know, do some of those things. Well, that's, there's a really good reason why. What do you think we uh, ought to be doing? Should we be doing more? Or, or I know my company does a lot to um, uh, try to enforce some security. What, what else could we be doing? Well, I mean, to respond to these cyber threats, you know, it, we've really got to be making our system secure. And there's no way we can make it 100% secure. But we can't make it easy for them. I can't go through all the controls, but a lot of it comes down to focusing on the basics, you know, patch management, perimeter defense, encryption, uh, network segmentation, and strong authentication is a must. You know, anything with remote access to your network should have multi-factor authentication. You need to have more than just a password to authenticate to your network. And we see this through, you know, a text where you get a, a five or six digit number to type in, a token with a one-time code. Um, we're seeing better technologies for apps where you can actually, you know, on your smartwatch or smartphone agree uh, and that provides the um, authentication. Uh, RSA, Microsoft, and Duo are the most popular solutions, but employee training is vital. Knowing when to spot a scam, knowing who to report to and how, and, you know, letting them know, you know, if you see something, say something, you know, so we've got to focus less on the arrows and more on the archer. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, uh, cyber incident management, you know, we need to have an incident response plan. It's, it's paramount. You know, we've got to have a plan in place to respond when an attack has been detected. Uh, and knowing, you know, your vendors and who can reach out to in order to help you walk through, you know, what are the first three steps that you need to do? They will, you know, be available, be able to tell you what to do, whether to unplug the computer, whether to disconnect from the network. We want to make sure we're preserving a lot of that and evidence. But testing, I mean, simple things like having an IT controls review, you know, and understanding, you know, how your backups are working and whether they're adequate, your policies are in place, your trainings in place, um, penetration tests, you know, to uh, check your perimeter protection to see where you might be vulnerable there, along with vulnerability scan. Those are quick and easy ways to find out where that low-lying fruit might be. We're seeing a lot of businesses going to the cloud. You know, they're using my, uh, Microsoft 365, Azure, Amazon Web Services. You know, inherently, they're not secure. You need to have somebody look at those settings who is independent from setting those up to make sure that those controls are in place. If I was to spend money on anything, it would have to be on email phishing exercises. Going back to what I said, that 90% of attacks start with an email. You've got to understand whether your employees are adequately making those decisions on what they click on in email. So there are services out there that, you know, will be able to test your employees and find out where your training needs need to be. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a good practice there. Yeah, I know my company actively participates in phishing exercises. 
uh, where you never know when you're going to get an email that looks like it's friendly, but you know, you better take a good look at it because you know, violate that more than a couple of times and you get your access revoked. So it's, uh, it, it is important. You really got to do that. Um, Mark, you touched a minute ago on, uh, on actors within Russia specifically, but what about, uh, this is very current, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, the cyber activities there? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I mean, it changes daily, but it's like we're in Cold War 2.0. Um, but Russian cyber attacks against Ukraine are not new. They've actually been happening over a decade. Um, today, you can't have a successful military operation without cyber espionage. And the whole world is actually watching this. And it gives us a chance to look at Russia's cyber playbook. And you can bet that China and Taiwan especially are paying close attention. The attacks are not new, but they're different from what we've been experiencing from email scams and ransomware. Um, we're seeing government websites attacked, uh, Ukrainian websites uh, with disinformation. We're seeing attacks against critical infrastructure. Those involve, you know, our country's communications, financial services, transportation, power plants like water, energy, gas, and oil. And if you can take out any one of those, you can certainly create some disruption in our economy. But the financial services sector has been a primary target. During the uh, invasion, uh, Russia was doing a lot to disrupt electronic transactions during the invasion. Uh, it creates a lot of fear and panic while the Ukrainians are trying to evacuate and find shelter. On March 21st, President Biden warned the United States that there may be a possibility of cyber attacks against our critical infrastructure here in the United States. This would be a retaliation against the sanctions, but it reminds us how important to review and test our business continuity and incident response plans. And I hope we never have to experience these attacks, but we should be aware so we can be proactive for preventing them. So we have to assume that Russia is thinking about cyber attacks in the United States. Right. And we don't want to be caught unawares. We don't want another 9-11 type situation only on the cyber front. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of... Um, We've seen a lot of disinformation attacks hours before the invasion. The targets were government websites, um, changing the site and posting disinformation. And Russia is a master for disinformation. And, uh, you know, they've also been using social media. Russia, in response to those, has actually enabled what we call a digital iron curtain around their social media. This allows them to control their information going to the Russian citizens. One disinformation attack uh, is one we haven't seen before is the deep fake videos. You may have heard of these. Um, there's some on YouTube uh -huh. of President Obama and Tom Cruise, but really what they are is they're using artificial intelligence and deep learning to create a video to spread fake information. You know, things like, you know, creating a video of someone saying something they actually didn't. And what happened is the weekend of March 19th, a video was released of President Zelensky portrayed to say to the Ukrainian citizens, lay down your arms. And it was not a particular good one. There was a poor accident and uh, the face overlay wasn't very good. But we can see how down the road they might be very effective, especially in like election interference. Sure. It's, it's just a practice, right? Probably the most destructive we've seen is the wiper worms. Um, these are things that we don't tend to see too much, but they're very bad. They can't be undone. And what it is, is it's called destruction malware. It deletes files and overwrites the media, so you can't undelete them. The only recovery strategy is really to restore from your backup. So if you don't have a good backup strategy, you're really out of business. 
Other attacks against the critical infrastructure involved distributed denial of service attacks. We haven't seen these too much, but they've been around for quite a while. But what they do is they make a system resource unavailable. Um, they do this by sending so much data from many different systems that the victim's site can't respond. And so they can use things like bot farms and botnets that they can send data from all over the world, prevent access to websites, they can disable access to internet banking and other financial services. There's been a lot of attacks against the communications sector for internet, satellites, mobile phones, trying to do satellite GPS communications, you know, jamming those to disrupt coordination of troop movements attacks against the Ukrainian internet service providers, taking away electronic communication. So they can be used a lot of different ways to disable a system. Um, and they're very difficult to defend against. So that's what we're running up against. Yeah. So to uh, summarize, you got to be really prepared on in all fronts, both um, uh, proactive and reactive. You got to be in training. You got to be uh, uh, putting your safeguards in place. You got to be doing your backups, but then you also got to have a plan to respond when something does happen and know what that response needs to look like. Yeah, that's correct. And a lot of times you need to have somebody who's independent kind of, you know, taking a step back and, and looking at your systems, you know, internally, we're there to make things work. Uh, you know, we try to make it secure, but really have somebody who specializes in knowing how to secure networks should be looking at a lot of your systems. Fantastic. Well, uh, that's pretty much all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing your time and information with us. How can they follow up with you, Mark? Um, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, well, you know, Tim, thanks for having me. And thanks to IASA. I feel very honored to be part of this podcast series. They can reach me. My name again is Mark Scholl. I'm at Whipley, W-I-P-F-L-I. And you can reach me at mscholl at whipfly.com. That's M-S-C-H-O-L-L at whipfly.com. Great. And if you have comments about the show or any show suggestions, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. So until next time, I'm Tim Hicks with today's special guest, Mark Scholl. Thanks, Tim. Tune in next time when I'll sit down with Carlin Schofield from J.P. Morgan Chase to talk about authentic leadership. And if you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to subscribe and never miss a new episode. Let your friends and colleagues know about the show. And hey, if you wouldn't mind, please rate and review the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.